I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome to a new series of The Book Show here on RTE Radio 1. These are unusual times for everybody, for readers and for authors alike. Uh, We are all finding our way through it together and apart, necessarily. Uh, Hopefully you've been able to find some sort of comfort in reading, although if you're in any way like me, you've possibly found it harder to read recently than at other times. We hope we have something for you between now and the end of the programme that might inspire you. New for this series, Stephanie Preisner is with me in spirit and in voice, if not necessarily in studio. Hi, Stephanie. What's happening in news this week? In book news this week, I have a digital book festival. I have some independent bookshops that are using the postal service to get their books out. I have some free books for people who have iPhones. And I have some information on David Williams and what he's giving free. Okay, we'll have some more on that a little bit later on in the programme. But first... I've had a few people ask why we didn't push the release back like they do with movies. Well, there's a lot of reasons why releasing your book when you say you're going to release it is important. Bookstores depending on you doing what you say you're going to do, even if those bookstores are closed. The industry needs to know it can trust the writer and trust the publisher to deliver and not to panic and make a purely selfish decision. So this is a hit, but it's a hit we're all willing to take, basically. That's Derek Landy tweeting on the day of publication, Thursday the 2nd of April, of Seasons of War. It's the 13th book in the Skullduggery Pleasant series, or more accurately, the first book in the final trilogy of the series. It's been published this month despite the shuttering of bookstores and the grinding of most online retail to a halt. And Derek Landy joins me now from his home. Derek, how are you? I am fine. How are you, Rick? You sound fantastic, sir. Tell me about (laughs) what it is like as an author publishing in the midst of a pandemic and with everything that entails? It's um, surreal. Uh, I'm, I'm completely used to releasing a book and either being on tour or within a day at least uh, being on tour. I don't particularly like uh, being on tour. I like the events. I like signing books. I like being on stage. I like interacting with readers. Uh, all of that is very rewarding after you've just spent the last six months um, isolated. But I don't actually like uh, being on the road. And so, on one hand, this is perfect. This is ideal for me. I don't have to uh, go on tour. I've been doing a lot of YouTube videos and, and answering questions on, on YouTube Live and, and, and all of that stuff. But it, it's weirdly discomforting to watch... Even publishers scramble and try to figure out the new dynamic. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot quieter than I'm used to. Do you think there's an an element of authors taking this into their own hands as well? Because, as you said, publishers have no real fallback plan here. But so many authors I know have decided to do the likes of what you're doing, the YouTube live streams that you've been doing. I mean, you've even been giving creative assignments to to your readers and asking them to, to give stuff back to you. Yeah, it's, um, I think you kind of have to, uh, especially if your audience is on the main, uh, younger, um, as in um, anywhere from eight and nine to teenage, that would be our prime um, audience. You've just got to find ways to connect with them. Um, the, the publishers, they're kind of finding their own way. They, you know, a lot of them... Are, a lot of the people that a writer would interact with in the publishers, the editors, the marketing people, the publicity people, 
um, they're all frantically trying to figure out how to keep the books uh, circulating in print and then uh, being out there. So they kind of have their hands full. You would expect, I would have expected, that there would be an apocalypse uh, scenario that they can just pull up the file and go, okay, here's how we delegate, here's how we do. It's not as um, straightforward as that. So yeah, writers, we've had to take things into our own hands. We've had to instigate um, entire sessions on our own. I'm, I'm lucky I have an agent that is very proactive. We've been doing the YouTube, we've been doing the the assignments um, at the same time as as I started uh, doing the assignments, or in fact about a, a few days earlier, um, a Marvel artist, Will Sliney in Cork, I think he is, he started this whole uh, We Will Draw thing where he's been assigning uh, kids art projects. And it, it's, it is fascinating to watch all of these people, all of these uh, writers and artists who are are just kind of doing their very best to rise to the occasion because not only do I have a book to uh, publicize and talk about and get into the public consciousness, but you also kind of feel a responsibility to the the readers who are stuck at home. And, you know, you kind of want to help them and you kind of want to keep them occupied and take the pressure off parents. And it isn't just a case of me being so lovely and nice that I want to take the time and take the pressure off parents. It's a logical business editing because if I do something to ease the pressure on the parents, the parents will look on me kindly. So because of that, I have my publisher agreeing to everything I say. And I'm just um, doing my best to try to keep uh, some people occupied um, and just give them fun, creative outlets. Because, I mean, I can't imagine how boring it must be. Because as a writer, I stay at home anyway. So, you know, this is no big change for me. I think you're potentially right that for an awful lot of parents after this, there will be the goodwill of, do you remember that Derek Landy when he kept the kids occupied for three days? We should probably (laughs) buy one of his books. I'm interested, though, in that you're right. Obviously, the Skullduggery Pleasant books are aimed at a certain uh, age group. However, I mean, the first book was published in, in, what is it, 2007 now. So let's say, for instance, uh, somebody is 10 years old when they start reading Skullduggery Pleasant in 2007. That person's 23 at this point. And they may still be reading the book. So is there an element of when you are writing a series like this that has run over such a long period of time, are you still writing for the 10-year-old or is there one eye always on that person who's been with you since the very beginning? Yeah, you... Basically, it's a struggle to keep everyone happy because I naturally would be writing for the reader who was there at the very beginning. And so I would be writing for them. And also because the main character, uh, Valkyrie, she started out, she was 12, and now she's 26 at uh, 27. So the age of, of the character was also the age of the, the uh, primary audience. So um, I find myself writing these books for P 
people in their mid-twenties. And it's the job of my agent and my editor and my publisher to constantly remind me that while these readers are still here, they're still around, you're always going to get a new a wave of nine-year-olds. And so you can't just focus on the 27-year-old. I have to keep in mind that a seven-year-old will also be working their way through these books. So um, you have to allow yourself to expand. You have to allow your almost your mind to expand in all directions to encompass everyone at the same time to keep things sophisticated enough that you're getting the people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and the, the audience for the series uh, bizarrely it, it it goes up whenever i'm on tour in the uk we i sign at a huge at uh, a mall at blue water in kent and there's this guy uh, brian and brian has to be late 80s and he stands in line with everyone else for six hours and um, he gets his book signed. Uh, so quite a large um, uh, range of ages I read these books. So you've got to kind of make it accessible and fun for um, um, all of them, which is a challenge. Maybe uh, briefly and just before we, we finish, Derek, on a, on a human level, how have you been dealing with, with the last few weeks and, and maybe how it affects your, your writing routine as well? Because you, like a few authors, have a very kind of clockwork set of release dates that happen throughout the year. So you're supposed to be writing at the moment, I presume? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, on one level... Nothing has changed because you're going to stay at home in front of the computer anyway for months on end and you're not going to want to venture outside. And so on that level, nothing has changed and this would seem to be ideally suited to people like me. But I've kind of been unable to write. I write when I can daydream. I mean, the books are just they are my daydreams on the page. And I can only daydream when I'm relaxed. And I'm only relaxed when I've got nothing to worry about. You know, it, it's the same after a terrorist attacks. You know, for the immediate um, aftermath of that, and you're watching the news, and you're getting the, the updates, and you're uh, coming to terms with the damage done. And, you know, you're not uh, going to want to daydream um, because you're worried, because you're scared, because, you know, you got all of these these real world problems are suddenly crashing down upon your little imagination. And it, it's the same here. You, you know, I mean, everyone is spending so much time worrying about their families and uh, their friends and their loved ones and themselves. And it's stopping them from from daydreaming uh, so uh, physically it's ideal for a writer and mentally it's like everything is is scattershot and, and and up in the air but uh like any writer you just have to sit down and force yourself to start to write the first sentence and the first sentence will lead to a second one pretty soon you'll have a paragraph Pretty soon you have a page and then a chapter and that's how uh, books get written, uh, one word at a time. 
The book is Seasons of War. It's the 13th book in the Skullduggery Pleasant series. Derek Landy, good luck with the daydreaming and thanks for joining us on the book show. (laughs) Thank you. Every week on The Book Show, we give you the opportunity to put some questions to an author whose work you've read at one of your book club meetings in whatever form they're happening right now. This week, we feature the Wise L Book Club in Navan in County Meath. Here's Margaret McCann to tell us a little bit about them. Hello, I'm Margaret from the Wise L Book Club in Navan. And we have been in existence for the guts of 20 years. Myself, Maeve and Joe being three of the founder members who are still there. We are called after the Bookwise Bookshop in Navan, which unfortunately is no longer there. But we remember with great affection Geraldine and Brendan, Joanna and Bernie. It was a fabulous bookshop. Uh, We are a group of about eight or nine people. Members come and go. We have a mixture of men and women. We read fiction and non-fiction. We recently had our first Zoom meeting in which we all acknowledge that we missed our monthly meeting very much. We normally meet in the New Grange Hotel in Navan, and we're very grateful to them for their hospitality to us over the couple of decades that we've been meeting. The most recent book up for discussion by the Wise L Book Club in Navan was Actress by Anne Enright. Before we hear from her, we're going to get a quick synopsis of the book from Monica in Meath. Actress is the story of Catherine O'Dell, an Irish theatre legend who started out as an actress at a young age and went on to act on the West End, Broadway and finally Hollywood. Her story is told by her daughter Nora, who is now a middle-aged writer herself. Nora narrates not only her mother's life, but her own life as well. The story centres on a complex mother-daughter relationship where the daughter is both in awe of the glamorous life her mother has led, but also pities her and feels disappointment. During the exploration of her mother's life, Nora is also trying to work out aspects of her own life story. Ultimately, this story is one of love, a daughter's love of her mother and a wish to tell her story to reclaim her mother for herself, having spent a lifetime sharing her with audiences and being obliged to admire her from afar. And Ireland's first ever laureate for fiction, Anne Enright, joins me now. Anne, firstly, welcome to the book show. Thank you very much, Rick. It's nice to be here Uh, or at home talking to you. In whatever form we're here right now. Um, And how about that synopsis of the book? Does that sound about right? That sounds right enough to me. Uh, the wise owls are wise indeed. I find book clubs are a tough audience, however. Um, I hope the questions aren't too hard. They'll be of the easiest. It'll be a bit <laughs> fine. The book, uh, before we get into those, I mean, it's only out a, a matter of months. It was one of those ones that kind of squeaked in before everything ground to a halt. I mean, it must be both interesting and strange to have it up for discussion by book clubs already, even though they're not really together. Yeah, no, the whole time is extraordinarily strange, really interesting. Um, I was so glad to get a few weeks in Ireland before everything went dark. Uh, I unfortunately didn't get the same amount of time in America. I had to pull out of a tour there. So it's really amazing you're, you, you're pushing towards something and then you fall off the edge of a cliff. It's, uh, you know, 
that it is what it is. So I'm just kind of glad that I got it written, I suppose, <laughs> that people are reading it. It's really back to basics time for me. And in terms of, of yourself and, and the real world around you right now, how have you been dealing with, with the last three or four weeks? I'm just cutting everyone a bit of slack. That's how I've dealt with it. I, I think it's important to be somehow present uh, for all of this. And if you go off into a kind of hectic state of denial, uh, it'll come back at you in some way. You know, the, the, this is a really astonishing time. And I think we have to be still for a while and think. I think that's not terrible advice. Uh, enough from me. We're going to hand it back to the book club in Navin. The first question for Anne comes from Dave. Hi. My question is, to whom is Nora narrating? It, it's kind of broad across the spectrum, to her husband, to her dead mother. But it was just a general who was narrating the story to. Thank you. Well, thanks, David. You have noticed that I am keeping the spinning plate of the book held up on a, a, on a very thin stick, which is, she says she's going to write this book and she says it to her husband. So it's written in response to a, a kind of challenge from him. OK, I'm going to write this memoir of my mother. But the memoir falters from time to time and she lapses back into talking to and about her husband who initiated the process. So it kind of moves out from their house in Bray, County Wicklow, <laughs> into, uh, as it were, print and all the readers out there. So it's a kind of attempt at a memoir. Um, and it's a failed attempt at a memoir because I think as she details the, the events of her mother's life, the effect that I wanted to gather up there was a, was a sense of the emotion that all of these facts held for her somehow. Um, so then we move into the emotion itself, as it were, and into her own life, if that makes sense. I think sometimes some of the most observant questions come from uh, book groups. Dave, that's brilliant. Thank you. The second question is from Paul. Uh, reading the book, uh, it immediately brings to mind uh, certain books written by daughters about their famous actress mothers like Mommy Dearest. And while I was reading the book, I was wondering if Anne Enright had had this model or genre in mind when she was writing the book, when she picked uh, an actress to be the, the subject of her book. Well, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds are on the cover of the book. And, and that, yes, there was a bit of Mommy Dearest. There was a bit of early Carrie Fisher. I didn't go back to read Postcards from the Edge. I reached um, to the memory of, of a Vivian Lee memoir that I read many years ago. And Vivian Lee, as you might, she was a very beautiful actress, very talented actress. She married Lawrence Olivier and she became in the early 1950s bipolar. And I remember reading that memoir, wondering what, what made her mad, as if... The details of a life would give you the answer to such a question. So th there was that. There were the lives of people like uh, Limerick actress Constance Smith, who stabbed the man she went on to marry. There, there, there's a trick. And, uh, you know, various actresses. I love the thing about memoirs, if you, whether it's Churchill or, you know, or Vivian Lee, you look at those, those facts as if they're going to yield the secret of whatever essential thing we know them for, one way or the other. And so it's a game of consequences that novelists kind of do all the time, one way or the, one way or the other. And I was doing it in a more kind of 
both limited and distilled form in that in the first section of the book in the first half of the book when I was writing it as a, as a memoir as an attempt at memoir but of course it's so much more than that because it's the daughter who's doing it one of the things that Nora does that all a lot of those a lot of memoirs of parents fail to do is she doesn't apportion blame and uh, and so there, there, there are there are a whole host of memoirs who of, of people just blaming their parents. But Nora is a very grown up narrator, and her mother is almost more childish than she is. In fact, frequent frequently that's a, a primary reason for the those memoirs being written is to apportion blame in one form or another. Usually, it is yeah. But also you see, but but in Mommy Dearest, that it was you know the idea that Crawford was this domestic goddess when she just kind of bought those children and used them as props. So they they did have an authenticity jag going on there, saying actually that image was false. So fair enough. Question three is from Mead, but by way of Russia. Here's Tanya. Uh, you were maybe surprised, um, but the novel was uh, translated from English into Russian. And I would like to let her know that she is important for us as well, for Russian woman. I'm not sure that she was in, in Russia or she has too many Russian friends. But I would like to let her know that she is important for us as well. I would like to ask the aunt and write, would you would like to make this in Irish movie? and who you would like to see in it. Well, if I saw it as a film, I'd like to see it as an Irish film. <laughs> if you're going to sing a song, who used to say that on the radio? Make sure it's an Irish song. Yes, well, that's a lovely question. I I don't really write films. I write novels. And there's a huge, a very significant structural difference between a film and one of my novels, which is that my novels, as you may have gathered by now, circle around things. They don't. They are. They don't go straight. And films often, especially mainstream films, like to go straight through a story. Readers also reach for that security. But I hope that even, you know, I hope by now <laughs> everybody knows that you're not going to get a straight road when you when you when you embark on on one of my fictions because I don't think that's the way life or or the mind works. However, movies do one way or another. I mean, there are flashbacks in their techniques, but they do move in a different sort of space to my work, which is very interior and uh, very challenging for the filmmaker. I mean, that said, there are there is a kind of filmic sense in the colour palette and the way that scenes are set. It's just not structured the way a movie is structured. I'd love to see someone take it and shake it uh, rattle it down and make it into a, a movie because I think it would be it would be a great way to see it. Yeah. My thanks to Anne Enright for being such a good sport and for putting up with the interrogation. If you would like to put your book club forward for possible inclusion in future episodes, do contact us. Give us your name and your details to bookshow at rte.ie. Now, as promised, we have news, uh, despite the fact that there's been relatively little news in the last few weeks in the book world. Here's Stephanie Preisner with what's going on this week. Where are we starting? The book news this week is that Corch International Festival of Literature have announced that they're going to present a digital version of their festival this month. Um, I was really excited when I saw the programme for the 2020 festival, and it's 
Brilliant that some of that festival is now going to appear online from Thursday the 23rd to Saturday the 25th of April. So I'm going to be listening to Sarah Baum in conversation with Sinead Gleeson about her latest book. And then, I mean, I love Anne Enright, so I'm going to listen to her, even though the person she's in conversation with, I'm not a huge fan of. It's you, Mr. Ricochet. (laughs) And it's going to be the weirdest thing in the world, conducting a conversation with Anne Enright for an audience where I'm in my house and she's in hers. But sure, we'll, we'll get on with it. We'll see how it goes. And all of us tuning in on their YouTube channel. It's just amazing that they're able to offer this for free. Now, there is a way of donating if you have the means or interest. Um, so you can check out their website, which is court.ie, C-U-I-R-T dot I-E, and you can check out the programme there. OK, bookstores around the country are starting to reopen, if not physically, online. Yes, and it's brilliant that they're connecting with their customers. My local bookshop is the Gutter Bookshop in Temple Bar and in Dawkey, and they are using the postal service to get their books to their customers. Also, I know that Kenny's in Galway are doing it. So if you're desperate to buy a book, just check with your independent bookshop in your local town just to see if that they are using any of, if, if they're doing anything online. I know Eason's are delivering across the country. Um, so just check with your local bookshop before you do anything because a lot of them are doing stuff online now. Okay, it's also good to discover new ways of finding books. You've discovered iBooks. Yes, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, right, there's an app on it called iBooks. So click on that and then press the middle button, which goes to the store and scroll all the way to the bottom. And they have made loads of books free for the duration of this pandemic. So I've downloaded two so far, The Seven Sisters by Lucinda Riley. And I've also downloaded, there's loads of classics on there. So I've downloaded Sherlock Holmes. Have you read Sherlock Holmes? I never have. I've only ever read the short stories and I think one of the novels as well. So what, what, what are you getting? What are you going to have a go at? Well, I got so excited when I saw that they were free that I just downloaded the first Sherlock Holmes book that I saw. So I don't actually know the title, but it's waiting for me to read there. So I've downloaded Sherlock Holmes and Dracula. So I'm set. So if you want some free books, there's kids books, classics and new titles on the iBooks app on your phone. OK, and what are we going to finish up with this week? So you might be absolutely sick of your children and wishing that creches and babysitters were open. But if you want to outsource your children to someone to look after them for a few minutes, David Walliams is reading some of his books online every single night. It was Gangster Granny the other night and I tuned in and it was adorable because I don't know a child that doesn't love the David Walliams books. So check that out. It's also free and it's a way of getting away through children for a few minutes. Okay, that's our news for this week. Stephanie Preissner, thanks a million. Thank you so much. Stay safe. That's it for this edition of The Book Show on RTE Radio 1. Thanks for joining me. The podcast is available wherever you find yours. Our email address, once again, is bookshow at rte.ie. And we'll see you again same time next week, 7pm on Sunday evening here on RTE Radio 1. Don't forget to check in with your local bookshop for any of the books that are featured in the programme. 